You're listening to Culturally Speaking. This is Janice. And this is Neha. And we're here to talk about all things cultural. Okay, so we are going to talk about national animals today. Um, so what's India's national animal? A tiger? Bengal tiger maybe I feel like this is a pub quiz question do you know like what's the I feel like an answer for the home nations but not anywhere else (laughs) okay so in my research for this episode um there are quite a few different lists even for the same countries so I ended up picking um the five countries that I found most similarities in in the different sources that I looked at um, and the most interesting ones so um, just to quote some of my sources as well um, I looked at a website called bestlifeonline.com Wikipedia of course my best friend Um, the various countries that I covered I actually went on their own um, official tourism websites so first country I want to cover is Wales do you know what the animal is? The dragon and the flag, yes. There is actually quite an interesting story about this. Um, I didn't really think about, you know, what's behind all these animals. I've just taken it for granted, I think, that, you know, we've got the red dragon and you see it at rugby games and, you know, the World Cup and all of these things. But apparently there was... Um, Celtic king named Vortigern on the lookout for somewhere to build a castle and he eventually found a spot he liked on the hillside of I'm going to pronounce this wrong but Dinas Emrys and a young boy who some believe to be Merlin the magician uh, in disguise warned this king that the site he had in mind for his castle was directly above an underground lake where two dragons lay sleeping Obviously, the king ignored the little boy and began construction on the castle. But upon digging on the grounds, Vortigern's men actually found two dragons, one red and one white, and they were fighting fiercely. After a real scuffle, the red one won. Now, some say that the red dragon represented Vortigern's people, while Geoffrey, or Geoffrey, of Monmouth, saw it as a prophecy of the coming of King Arthur. And slight tangent here, but funnily enough, the name of King Arthur's Arthur's father, Uther Pendragon, translates into dragon's head. I did not know it had anything to do with the dragon on the Welsh flag, though. I know. I mean, people could have also retrospectively made it up. So, um... Let's caveat the whole episode by saying all of these could be complete mythology. In fact, some of them definitely. That's the best thing though, isn't it? I'll tell you (laughs) about the other countries. So Wales's first um, official use of the flag was probably during the Battle of Boswell Field in England in 1485, when Henry Tudor defeated Richard III, who then went on to reign over England as Henry VII. So that's a bit of history for history buffs out there. Like me, love that. And 
So moving on, still staying in the UK for a little bit, we come to Scotland. And do you know what the national animal is? See, I said at the top of the episode that I would be able to name all the home nation ones, but actually I don't think I can. I feel like this was definitely in a pub quiz somewhere. <laughs> but no, go on, put me out my misery, what is it? You will not guess, guess this. It's the unicorn. The unicorn? That's... Yep. Okay, tell me more, I'm intrigued. Okay. So, back in the 1300s, when Scotland was choosing its national animal, people believed that the unicorn, the beautiful beast, to be real. According to folklore, the unicorn had the power to defeat the much bigger elephant. Elephant? And in, yes. In Scotland? Yes. Just Sorry, just from a climate perspective, that's just... I'm wrapping my head around that one. Carry on. <laughs> In Celtic mythology, the unicorn was a symbol of purity and innocence, as well as masculinity and power. And so that's why they went for the unicorn. Now, it was first used on the Scottish royal coat of arms by William I in the 12th century. The unicorn representing Scotland in the coat of arms is always depicted as bounded by a golden chain, which is seen passing around its neck and wrapping around its body. It's believed to be the strongest of all animals, wild and untamed, and that it could only be humbled by a virgin maiden. It is also possible that the entrapment symbolises the power of the Scottish kings, who were strong enough to tame even a unicorn. Where do they display the unicorn, though? I've never seen it. On Is it just on that Scottish coat of arms? So I think um, in my reading, I did come across the fact that over time, when the UK, you know, united and the whole Union Jack and all of that came, it slowly phased out, um, which is why now the Scottish flag is the blue and white. So now, moving further into other parts of Europe, we come to Portugal, and I'm sure you would be able to guess this one. Is it a fish? Is that a really no, stupid thing to Barthelos say? No, it's the Barthelos rooster. Why would I be able to guess that? Because all souvenirs from Portugal have the rooster on them. No, what? Yeah, like literally all the souvenirs I've bought have roosters on them. So the legend takes place in 15th century Barcelos. Citizens were really upset because there was an unsolved crime and it was really terrible and people were even scared to leave their houses at night. Now, an impoverished pilgrim had been passing through in order to fulfill a promise he made during a pilgrimage to Santiago de Compostela. Despite his explanation for being there, he was arrested and condemned to hang just for you know being an impoverished pilgrim and I guess being generally a foreigner. Right, he refused to go quietly and asked to be taken to the judge who sentenced him to death. The authorities granted his wishes and brought him to the magistrate's house while he was having a banquet with friends. Now, the pilgrim swore on his innocence and pointed to a cooked rooster on the table. He claimed that the rooster would crow at the hour of his hanging as proof. The statement caused ridiculous laughter and mockery, as you can imagine. 
Um, the judge ignored him pretty much, uh, but still set aside the rooster because he had lost his appetite. And when the time for judgment came, the pilgrim went to the gallows to accept his punishment. Right before the executioner could deliver his judgment, the roasted rooster appeared and stood upon the table in front of the crowd and crowed just as the pilgrim predicted. The judge then realized the mistake he had made and rushed to save the pilgrim. The cord, as it turned out, was not correctly tightened and he was able to easily be saved from his death sentence. Later, the pilgrim would return to Barcelos. He even sculpted a cross in honor of the Virgin Mary and St. James, who he felt was responsible for saving him with the miracle of the rooster. Today, this cross is still referred to as the cross of the Lord of the Rooster, but obviously in Portuguese. Um, so this is like the rooster of death row. I guess. But you can still find the statue, actually, in the Archaeological Museum of Barcelos. So then, moving on to an entirely different part of the world, North Korea. I, for people who are not aware, um, Korean history is very closely linked with Chinese history. Um, so you'll see that in Korean language, a lot of characters actually are derived from Chinese characters just because of, you know, history, basically. Ancient Korea was part of ancient China. Um, so the name of this creature in Korean is Cholima, but actually in Chinese classics, the name is pronounced as Qianlima, which means a thousand mile horse. And it actually kind of looks like the Pegasus, you know, like a horse with massive wings. Um, yeah, so, but the name Qianlima, meaning a thousand mile horse, actually refers to its ability to gallop a thousand miles, uh, well, a thousand li, which in our miles would be about 311. Much less impressive, but regardless, there's 300 miles in a day. Um, the funny thing about this is when North Korea and South Korea came to a ceasefire agreement in the 1950s, um, President Kim Il-sung barked at people to rebuild at Cholima speed. So it became a kind of a saying in popular culture. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, with England, it is the lion, right? Yes. Wait. Yeah. Okay. But we don't say go work like a lion or do you know what I mean? We don't really use it in day to day. What would that to do with Richard the Lionheart, though? Like it was supposed to be like bravery and honor and have no fear and. But in North Korea, it is even used as the nickname of its National Association football team. And the state also gave the name to the Cholima movement, which was kind of, you know, again, history buffs. If you remember the Chinese Great Leap Forward and the Soviet um, Stankanovich movement. So it, it was an economic movement which promoted economic development. And that's its actual name at the time. So that's how important this fake um, creature is. But yeah, I guess to your point of the football team using it, I guess we do talk about the lionesses, right? And that like the lions are going on tour, that kind of thing when it comes to sports teams. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, I just think you struggle, I think, for to find Boris Johnson calling our next economic 
program, the Lion program. No, but I think it's also to do with when industrialization happened, right? And the industrial age. Right, so moving on from the Pegasus slash winged horse, we come to another winged creature. And in the Chinese New Year episode, I did, I guess, point to the fact that we all believe we are descendants of dragons, you know, us of Chinese descent. And so very naturally, the Chinese national animal is the dragon. Um, Chinese dragons have many animal-like forms, such as turtles and fish. I know, it's super weird, but they're most commonly depicted... You call it a dragon, but it can look like a fish. So like an avatar, almost. No, it's. I think it's kind of like it's a dragon, but it might look more like a fish than... So it could be like a hybrid. So it might have scales or something. Or fins yeah. or... Okay. I mean, dragons do have scales. But anyway, so... They're most commonly depicted, though, as snake-like with four legs. So again, I'll upload something on Instagram so, you know, everyone will know what I'm talking about. So they traditionally symbolize potent and auspicious powers, particularly control over water, rainfall, typhoons, um, so hurricanes and floods. So, you know, the elements of the earth, basically. Um, And it also symbolizes power, strength, good luck for people who are worthy of it that being the important part of that sentence who judges who is worthy so chinese people do um in chinese culture excellent and outstanding people are compared to a dragon but wait for this incapable people with no achievements are compared to other disesteemed creatures such as a worm this doesn't sound too bizarre to me because we believe in rebirth and you could come back as an animal that's not seen as desirable. I mean, not coming back as an animal in general is not desirable, but you could come back as like a really lowly creature. Yeah, and I mean, maybe we can cover that in another episode, but I'm also intrigued by this idea of you know reincarnation and, and karma because I used to think, what if I did something really bad in my past life and I reincarnated into a fly then how am I supposed to get good yeah get good karma to come back as something else but that's a whole other episode yeah so back to dragons um a number of Chinese proverbs and idioms actually references you know they they have a lot of references to a dragon such as hoping one son to become a dragon so in Cantonese, it's mong zi seng long. It literally means, I hope, you know, one son will become a dragon. Um, and coincidentally, the number nine, remember we talked about homophones. Nine is a very special number in China, as it is seen as the number of the heaven. And Chinese dragons are frequently connected with it. This is a complete sidebar, but what does the number eight represent? Fortune. Right. Is this why everybody likes the number eight and wants to display yeah, it everywhere? Yeah, but the number nine is a homophone for longevity, like for a long time. Ah. So nine is also good. Two is a homophone for easy. Three is a homophone for life. Four is a homophone for death. 
And do people combine these numbers? Because I've, and this might just be something that I read in a newspaper article that's not true, but when people buy an apartment, for example, if the number is very lucky, like it will spark a bidding war <laughs> because people want to live somewhere that I don't know has fortune and life or whatever. Yeah, so for example, I mean, people do, and especially, um, for example, my birthday, obviously it's, you know, not something in anyone's control, but 28 is the homophone for, you know, making fortune quite easily. So is mine. <laughs> yeah, and then, so also in um, Hong Kong and a lot of parts of China, you know, similar to how people in America or even here, you might not find uh, the 13th floor in buildings here. In Asia, there's a lot of buildings where you won't find the 4th floor, 14th floor, 24th floor. So they'll just skip all of that. Because, so 4 is death, 14 is a homophone, well, near enough homophone of you will definitely die. So 24 is you'll die easily. So yeah, it goes on. So people do avoid the number four a lot. And I do find that I've always av subconsciously avoided doing things in fours. I'm just thinking about dancing. Sorry, it's a really bizarre thing because I know you like to dance and <laughs> a lot of things are like to a beat of four. <laughs> Don't know, random, random little sidebar. But anyway. Yeah. So, um, where was I? Right, so dragon and nine. So a Chinese dragon, for example, is normally described in terms of nine attributes. So check this out, right? It has usually 117 scales, which is nine times 13. 13 is a good number in Chinese because it's, you know, definitely will and life, right? And then... It, you know the concept of yin and yang. But for anyone who doesn't. So it's kind of the positive and the negative in terms of energy flow. So a lot of Chinese people, we believe in, you know, yin energy is the negative um, flow of energy. And quite a lot of times you would describe, you know, the more masculine side of energy to be yang to be the power and the strength and then yin would be the kind of softer side of things so not necessarily positive and negative in a good and bad way it's just two sides basically of the 117 scales it will have 81 yang which is nine times nine and 36 yin hmm. which is nine times four so this is also why there are nine forms of the dragon and there are nine sons of the dragon. There's also a number of places in China called nine dragons, the most famous being Kowloon in Hong Kong. So in Cantonese, it's Gaolong, and it literally says nine dragon. And yeah, and also if you remember what I told you about um, some of the festivities in China during the first episode, we've got dragon boat racing so yeah and then actually what i didn't mention in that episode is that in chinese new year you get um lion dancing but you also get fire dragon dancing 
And for people who've never seen it, I would really encourage you to go on YouTube and just search for Chinese Fire Dragon Dancing. So what you get, um, I don't know, Neha, have you seen Lion Dancing for Chinese New Year? No, I don't think I have. Okay, so basically, usually it's two pairs of two. Sometimes it could be more, but one lion is always composed of two people. So I actually um, had the chance of trying this as uh, a child in nursery, which is hilarious. Um, but essentially, it's really hard work. So imagine the person at the back, he will be the legs, right? The person in the front will hold the lion head and move it to mimic a lion. Now, bearing in mind this is a Chinese lion, so it doesn't look like Aslan, you know? I've seen it done with a dragon, but I've never seen it. I didn't know. I've never known it to be the a lion. The ones with two people are lions. And what you would do is the bottom person, the bottom half, he would essentially be bent over the entire time and holding the top half person on his shoulders. So, but together, you know, they have such you know synchronization that they really look like you know the four limbs belong to one creature and they will move around dance around jump on poles do ridiculous acrobatic moves and ultimately for chinese new year um you would quite often see a head of lettuce i know this sounds ridiculous but you'll see a head of lettuce with um blessings written on a piece of paper all tied together hanging over the beam of a door and these lions would kind of play fight you know it's all it's all planned it's all um what's the word for it choreographed uh, but they would essentially fight each other and then the winning lion would be the one who, who eats the lettuce first back to the fire dragon so the difference with the dragon is that you would get a lot more people and they would be holding the body of the lion on sticks and they would literally just run around and it, it looks amazing and quite often there'll be some kind of fire being thrown around as well and yeah so that's why it's a dragon so dragons are very popular in Chinese culture and of course when you talk about what year you're born in quite a lot of people would actually wait to have their child in the year of the dragon because they believe that will spell success for their children and i think i read somewhere that there's more people born in the year of the dragon than any other year in china so you really do see like a baby boom yeah. and for example the year of the rat this year it was the year of the pig and i guess with modern times you know we have different associations with these animals but you know, I would hear some of my friends, even though they are our age and, you know, very much modern minded people. But if they were born in the year of the rooster and maybe the husband was born um, year of the rooster as well, then my friend actually said, I'm going to wait and not have a child this year because it will be the year of the rat and rats and roosters don't get on. So subconsciously, we do believe in these things. And that thinking still influences people today, which is very kind of, as you say, they're very modern, forward thinking people, but they are rooted in the tradition. Yeah. And, and I find all of this really interesting because growing up, 
you know, I grew up with a certain set of beliefs in terms of, you know, down to the food you would eat or what you would avoid eating different times of the year. Um, and I always wondered, you know, for a completely ethnically Chinese person who would have grown up in the West, does that mean these things don't apply to them? Or does that mean these things don't apply to non-Chinese people? And I guess ultimately to me, it's almost like the placebo effect. So kind of if you believe it, then it happens almost. Because it's all about energy, right? In my mind that, for example, let me give you an example for a woman's time of the month. I've been brought up to believe that we should avoid drinking cold beverages and eating anything that is very cold. Um, and you would get what I mean because I believe Indian culture have similar beliefs. Yes. So, so for for listeners who are not familiar with this, um, foods are cold or hot, and we don't mean that by the temperature it actually is. So, bananas, even if it's baked into a banana bread, is cold. So it's cold for your system, and you have certain. It, I was going to say it's the effect it has on your body, and like mangoes are hot for your body so it then becomes this whole I guess system of eating of you know making sure you're eating foods that balance out your bodies based on what type of body you're born with yeah I think we could talk about this all day um and we would love to get somebody on that is an expert in telling us about these foods because it is a really interesting way of eating and actually being in tune with your body. But also, as Janice just said, how much people still believe in it today. So, yeah, I mean, massive sidebar finished. Um, sorry, that's becoming a habit of mine. But that was all that I wanted to share about national animals. And as always, if anyone wants to you know, come be a guest on this podcast or have interesting topics, you want us to cover, reach out. Um, you'll find all the details in the show notes. You've been listening to Culturally Speaking with music by Kevin McLeod. Please rate and subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're on. Get in touch with us on Instagram at Culturally Speaking Podcast or via email. You'll find all the details in our show notes. Tune in next week for more culture. Until then, stay cultured.